What's up, junkies? Welcome back in for another edition of Pigskin Junkies. Myself, Michael Larson, and joining me today, longtime friend. Uh, I think you've been on the podcast before, uh, but it is Brett Nierengarden. Uh, Brett is a longtime friend. We've done a couple podcasts together, actually. Uh, Brett, how are we doing today? I am doing great. I've wanted a way to talk about college football officially, and this is my way of doing it without actually having to put in all the time of doing the podcast myself. So I'm all for this, <laughs> just being a one ride in the passenger seat from now on. And that's that's the game plan. So obviously, start of the 2022 season, uh, lots to look forward to. Going to be dabbling, just to give everyone a little bit of a heads up, uh, Scott and myself have started uh, two new career paths. So for Scott, we're just trying to figure out how things can work. He's still available via Twitter, but as far as being on the podcast, he might not be on as much. Still trying to feel that out. Going to dabble into NFL a little bit. Might have Brett back on a few more times, depending on if you guys like him or not. Just kidding. Brett, you'll be back on, I promise. Uh, college football, NFL, a little bit more blended like it was when Jared and I did the podcast. So looking forward to it, talking college again after a little bit of a hiatus. This should be fun. Now, week zero, obviously, was last week. Only game anyone seemed to care about. And I don't know if you know why this was played there, Brett, but Dublin, Ireland, Northwestern, Nebraska, Scott Frost, <laughs> Kurt Herbstreit's pick to win the West. Uh, my opinion is that game runs through the axe from here on out, but that's just my two cents. Not the way you want the season to start if you're Scott Frost. Uh, no. Uh, let me say one thing. Well, one, for those who don't know, Nebraska alum, Nebraska fan, unfortunately got roped into the whole deal. Fan since 2013, great time to be a Nebraska <laughs> fan. First game, I, first game I ever watched as a Nebraska fan was the Big Ten Championship where they lose 70-31 to 31 to Wisconsin. So mm -hmm. I was like, rock and roll. So we'll go to the Big Ten title game every year. That doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will say before I get into anything about this is – I actually didn't hate the onside kick call. I just want to get out in front of that. Scott Frost has made a lot of other bad mistakes. Like, I, I think the worst thing he did before that game, or after that game, or throughout that game, I should say, was throwing his offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who did a terrific job under the bus post game. I have way more of an issue with that than trying to seize momentum with a defense you clearly don't trust a ton, at least in that game, because eventually when Northwestern does get the ball back, they kind of just run it down their throats for the last quarter and a half of the game. Mm -hmm. So I have way more problem with, with, again, the treatment of the staff than with the actual decision to have an onside kick. What I have more of an issue with with the decision is how it was reached in that Scott Frost just hired a full-time special teams coordinator for the first time in his career this offseason <laughs> – to address things like this and then overruled his onside or overruled his special teams coordinator to call the kick. So that's where I have issues. The mechanism of how the decision was reached mm -hmm. and other post comments afterward in terms of actually onside kicking there, probably dumb, obviously not ideal, but like 90% of the time they win that game and they're just fine. So that's that's my two cents on all of it. In terms of the greater issues with Nebraska, well, there's far more that we can maybe get to. But I know that was going to be the, the thing that was discussed, and it's been discussed at nauseum. I think he got unfairly ripped for the onside kick because, again, it was kind of there. It wasn't the worst call in that situation. 
But again, the problem is overruling the guy you just hired to do that job because you know that you suck at that job. I I agree that I didn't know that the whole special teams thing that is actually very alarming because I think that's two strikes. Yeah. In. Scott Frost had to fire all of his buddies, I think last year. So it's, all, you know, basically how can you coach a staff of people that you don't, you haven't been through thick and thin with these guys. So now it is, I mean, no one's going to want to work for you if you're going to go publicly drag them. But so that's a huge issue. Like you said, my thing is, is with the onside kick, yes, you're a hero if you get it. Villain if you don't. Analytically speaking, you're up, what, 14 plus points at that point? 13 plus? 11. 28-17, I think, when it happened. Okay. But two scores. Yeah. In my head, I'm thinking, you got them on the ropes. I, I, and maybe, yeah, you capstone the momentum. You just, like, that's nail in the coffin if you get it. But to me, I just think you kick it deep, you play defense, and you go from there. But obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Entertaining game to start the season, to say the least, though. We'll take it. For a week zero game, very entertaining. Oh, yeah. Real good game. Uh, Northwestern, I think, better than a lot of people. Like, Nebraska, again, they get clowned for that loss because Northwestern was also 3-9 and nine and not the cool 3-9 and nine like Nebraska was. You're right. Uh, but Northwestern is way better than people think, I think. And I think that'll kind of be proven throughout the year on that. And yeah, like you said, entertaining game. One more thing is I have kind of an issue. Like if we're doing the week zero, if we're giving it a name and it's not just like the one, because week zero, like even up until three, four years ago was just like, oh, Miami and Florida are playing tonight. That's weird. I'll watch. Like it was never like an advertised thing. So if we're going to advertise it, I would like all these games that are on like Thursday or Friday of this week where we clearly have room to not put some of these games on Saturday I would like like half shifted to week zero. Like when that Nevada, New Mexico state game was on, I could have used like Nevada, Washington state, just like a slightly more <laughs> juice to it. Maybe throw in like one random ACC matchup and one random pack 12 matchup and just give us like three, four Nebraska. Like I'm literally looking for Nebraska Northwestern quality games. I'm not saying we got to empty the chamber in week zero, right? but like that, that's all I'm looking for is like, NC State versus Wake Forest, which would actually be a really good game this year. So maybe that's a bad example, but you get what I'm saying yeah. when I use those types. It's of not the big flashy names that you're going to see yeah. all over ESPN, but it's it is a good quality football matchup. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like two teams that we think are going to go six and six playing in. And then obviously you have like the in conference part of it. Like I think Ohio State and Indiana have played a Week Zero game before. Where like that's nice because you're like, oh, I'll watch that. It's a really good team team that i know in their conference so i think there could just be a hair more of that type of game in week zero again especially if you look at this week's schedule and there's 25 on thursday and 25 on yeah. friday like we clearly have room to not have 100 games every saturday right it yeah it i'm with you i think that'd be a smarter because thursday night it's fun but at the same time and, and I get it. College football is just trying to own every single night until the NFL comes in and snags up all the TV time. But it just – give me Friday night or something to where I can crack – you know, be a little exactly. irresponsible and watch football. Like Thursday night, yeah. come on. And like when you have the Nebraska – like the Nebraska Northwestern, good game. Twitter is taught – like uh, that's 
part of it that's great too just to see like all of twitter talking about college football games again like mm-hmm. i'm happy that my coach made a dumb decision just because i got like 15 <laughs> of the same tweets. scott frost I'm a, it's like yes we are so back college football i love that part of it but that game's over it's three o'clock and you're like oh what am i flipping to fau charlotte nightcap of nevada nevada new mexico state and like everyone loves to do the hawaii joke the vandy hawaii thing but like no one actually wanted to watch that game but you could have very easily had oregon state washington like a real pac-12 after dark game to be like oh this is kind of interesting you know you could have had arizona state play someone or even like a random mac team like a toledo like a decent mac team at 330 and you'd be like oh we got a frisky mac team and an okay power five team like Mm -hmm. there was just little oomph that was missing after a, like you said a really good 11 30 a.m on fox game to start college football yeah you, you didn't like illinois wyoming <laughs> i mean it, that was literally like the best possible like that was the next best bet but like yeah. why couldn't we take like a slightly better big 10 team and a slightly better group of five team and like kind of have it you know what i mean like it wouldn't be that hard to put together like five compelling teams or five compelling games of like really average teams that would just get juiced up for just that one week. Again, like in Nebraska Northwestern as the perfect example for what you could do with every single conference and just do that with every power five conference, have like one all right game. I, I'm I with you. <laughs> so we've talked about week zero, obviously week one. Now we're diving into Thursday night. It's the return of the backyard brawl to kick off the college football season. You got Pitt coming back after a great season last year. They got a transfer in from Slavis uh, out of USC, which is ironic because they're playing West Virginia, who JT Daniels is now the starting quarterback who transferred out of USC because of Slavis to go to Georgia and then now lost the job to Stetson Bennett. Don't even get me started on how weird that is. Stetson Bennett, it's an anomaly. He doesn't make sense. But goes to West Virginia, does his Mountaineers country, let's ride video gets very popular shout out russ uh pat narduzzi you're always going to have a good defense i think this pit team is going to be good now yes they lost their best receiver to usc uh story of i guess everyone in the transfer portal that everyone went to usc i think this is going to be a very good pit team minus seven and a half i'm pretty comfortable going with that uh i normally don't like that in big rivalry games start of the season i'm usually a little hesitant because you're shaking the rust off trying to figure out your team you know there's practice speed there's game speed but i i like uh, i i feel a little more comfortable with this pit team than i do this west virginia team i would a hundred percent agree i actually have pit sneaky i think plus 300 pit to win the acc coastal is like a great great like maybe of i don't have a ton of like futures to give out here but in terms of value great value. like i think they're yes. better than miami and Miami's the favorite. So I think they would be the favorite, which would put them at whatever, plus 125, plus 150. Like, that's where I think they should be. Because like you said, they lose Jordan Addison. They lose Kenny Pickett. Keens Love is a pretty good quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. he's nothing special, but he's a competent starter. And I love their offensive line. The story of their offensive line, the day after Slovis commits, it's all fifth-year seniors, and they all get together. And like, you know, we'll, we'll all do a sixth year. We're coming back as a unit. <laughs> so they bring back every single offensive lineman Every single offensive lineman was a fifth year, except one. I think one was a fourth year junior who's now a fifth year senior. So you've got two off or you got five offensive linemen, an entire unit who are 
years beyond where they need to be. They're all two years older than the standard senior. So you have a great offensive line unit for Pat Narduzzi, a coach who wants to run the ball anyway. Probably didn't love the Mark Whipple passing attack with Pickett and Jordan Addison. Mm -hmm. So I love the offensive line. Don't trust West Virginia's defense because they just don't have a ton of athletes. And I think Pitt's weapons are a little better than people think. I mean, they bring back Jared Wayne, who's a pretty good senior player, who was good last year. And they've got, then they've got Mumfield, the transfer from Akron, I think. Um, and he led every Akron in every single category in receiving last year. So, again, you, you lose Addison, you lose Gavin Bartholomew, but you replace him with two all-right receivers. So if you're talking a team that won 10, 11 games last year, they can easily win 9-10 this year, which I don't think West Virginia will even sniff. So. Yeah, the, with Pitt, like you said, on the future, I think the the hard part for Pitt is going to be you're catching Miami the last game of the season in Miami. Uh, you give Cristobal some time to, to start really building that program in a season of really fine-tuning that, that team. I think that's why a lot of people lean a little bit more towards Miami just because of it being a home game versus Pitt and it being later in the season to where Cristobal can really iron out this Miami Hurricanes team. But the bummer is going to be, too, if you're Pitt, you know, if you want to take it to the next level and just bet them to win the ACC altogether, you're probably going to have to go just back-to-back weeks at Miami yeah. and then neutral side against Clemson. It's like, oh, like the two hardest games well, you're going to have all year would be back-to-back. Well, that's the thing, because you look at them, I think they're plus 900 to win the conference, and you're like, that's not bad, And but you're like, Clemson is going to be Clemson again, so it's like, it'd be like, obviously, like, picking someone in the SEC other than Bama to win, like, you'd feel like an idiot when it doesn't hit, because you'd be like, oh, of course they were going to lose to Clemson, but I do think, like, if this was last year's ACC, where it was a down ACC, I think Pitt would win it again, that's kind of my official stance on Pitt is non-Clemson ACC they're the best team in the ACC but you're you're right about that with with Miami getting them getting them on the last week of the season and I mean just quarterback play they're probably going to be much better at quarterback Miami is and then with Cristobal a much improved line and in the interior which is where Miami's kind of struggled lately so I'll be I'll be curious about that but Pat Narduzzi very underrated coach doesn't yes. get a lot of national ball, but he is I mean he's a ball coach's ball coach I don't know if he's from I think he's like from I don't know if he's from the Pitt area, but he's from like the Ohio Rust Belt area. I'm almost positive. So just fits into what you think of as a football coach. Absolutely. So other Thursday night game, and then we can, there's really not much action on Friday night. Uh, obviously if, if you guys want my opinions on the Thursday night game, I'll be watching the kicks off at approximately 9 PM on big 10 network. Uh, you can tweet at me directly and we can talk about gopher football all day, but I will save you guys from that. But I think the game that you were talking about, Brett, that you would have preferred more in a week zero format, you got Penn State Purdue Thursday night. A perfect game. Yeah. Perfect. That same kind of vibe of Northwestern. These are teams that are gonna be jockeying for at least Penn State. You know, they're trying to just stay relevant in the conversation. A lot of people think highly of them. I'm going to be watching the game because I'm scouting for week three when Auburn plays Penn State. But uh, I think that that could be a game that goes a long way for, again, trying to figure out the landscape of Big Ten country, that middle of the road. Yeah, and I think, too, it's two teams that you really aren't entirely sure about, like two teams who could be five-win teams, could be nine-win teams. I think that's fair to say about, about both teams in this game. And you're right about why it would be a perfect week zero game, because it could have been the Aiden O'Connell coming out party game, which he's actually had like four or five times because he threw for like 500 (laughs) yards against Tennessee and Michigan State and then like 400 against Iowa and Ohio State. But I feel like no one's talking about Aiden O'Connell. He's clearly the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. I don't think that's debatable whatsoever. 
returning quarterback, he's probably top five, ten, ten at the worst in the country, I think. He was fifth last year in QBR. The only quarterbacks, I looked this up beforehand because I didn't believe it when I read it, <laughs> only quarterbacks to beat Aiden O'Connell last year in QBR, uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams, Stetson Bennett. Only four ahead of him. Just wow. the four that you would think of in terms of, again, quarterback play. Jeff Brom, another underrated coach, an explosive offense at Purdue. So I I lean Purdue in this game pretty heavily. But the one thing I will say is this might be the first too-good-to-be-true sucker line of the year because I'm looking at it. every I'm flipping the paper every direction, and I don't see how Purdue is a home dog in this game, which makes me want to take Penn State. Because, like, I'm looking at it every single way, and I just think Purdue is way better. So I think it, like, smells funny without quite smelling funny. So because I'm, there's lines of funny this time of year every every year. Yeah, and, and like you said, it's week one. You're rolling the dice. It's a total shot in the dark where they're setting these lines off of. It's based off of last year and potential. And that's all it is. So these lines, you know, you can maybe snag a couple ones early. I will say, Brett, though, I think you're leaning towards the sharp side. I'm showing 40% of the bets on Purdue, but they're coming in at 69% of the money. Oh, I feel great about that. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So you gotta, you're not, you're not as dumb as you think you are. You're a smart man, Brett. You're smart. You believe I'm, in like yourself. I said, <laughs> I'm just looking at it. And it's just one of those where you're like, they have, I think they have better weapons, a better quarterback, potentially a better offensive line, a defense that's gotten better every year over the last three years. Penn state starting a 24 year old who's very, very average. Like I just, Aiden O'Connell versus Sean Clifford. Give me Aiden O'Connell every single time on that, on top of everything that I've mentioned. But again, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that I actually love Purdue in this game because I love them too much. Like that, <laughs> like you just, yeah, it's an that's issue. fair. That's fair. Uh, Friday, nothing too crazy going on. I mean, you got another big 10 middle of the road. You got Illinois versus Indiana, Illinois, Playing in week zero against Wyoming, Brett Bielema, year two of just continuing to build. I mean, I loved that game last year where he was just like, we're not even going to put a receiver on the field. We're just going to put a bunch of linemen out there, and we're going to run the ball, and I need you to stop me. It's perfect. I mean, that's Brett Bielema football. Indiana coming off a 2-10 and 10 season. I, I think they have a very underrated head coach as well, but it's also one of those, as an Indiana fan, I think you accept the fact that, okay, every – four to five years we're going to field a pretty good team but then outside of that we're just going to get our teeth kicked in oh and it's not i mean basketball starting to get better over there so maybe maybe they got that to look forward to but we can dive into saturday uh, i'll let you go first since i've kind of been I've, I've picked the first game of of thursday and friday but is there a game that you're looking at on saturday that you can't wait to watch and, and a spread that you're kind of eyeballing Aside from the obvious ones in terms of can't wait to watch, I think I'm probably most excited for this Utah-Florida game because it's, again, it's 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 a line that makes sense but doesn't because you look at it in Utah versus Florida just in terms of recruiting, pedigree, all of that kind of stuff. You're like, I could see where it's three points. But in terms of who both teams trotted out in the field last year and who they return and function versus dysfunction at the two places – Again, Utah is jumping off the page at me. I think Utah wins the Pac-12. I'm a, I'm a believer in all of the Utah hype this year. I think Cam Rising is awesome. Big, thick quarterback. They got two great tight ends, Tavian Taylor. They can or Tavian Thomas, excuse me. They can run the ball, and 
again, I just think especially against a team like Florida, I know Dan Mullen's not coaching him anymore, but I think you run the ball well against Florida in that first half and you're up by 10 points, 13 points, something like that. Like, I think you can beat this Florida team into submission pretty quickly mm-hmm. this early in the season. So I understand the Swamp thing and the SEC and the fatigue and the humidity and the Billy Napier excitement and AR-50, and I get all of that. But I think Utah, if you took this roster, you took how big and physical they are, you took all of Kyle Whittingham's long-term success, and you put them in LSU uniforms, and they'd be favored by two touchdowns in this game. And so I think it's I think it's just one of those games where it's just one team is is clearly better. And I'm not a moron. I know Vegas doesn't set the lines based on pedigree and stuff like that <laughs> in terms of who wears the jerseys. Like I'm not first time on the podcast. I want to make sure I'm clear. Like I understand that they are way smarter than me in that regard. But I do think the national perception of this game would be a lot different if literally any other team returned 17 starters from a Rose Bowl team and the best quarterback in their conference to their team. Like right. it feels. It feels very, very obvious to me, again, on top of all the dysfunction that we've had at Florida over the last three years, even when they were good three years ago. Right. I mean, anything Kyle Whittingham does is I'm a firm believer in. And it's I feel like they scheduled this game when Urban first went to Florida and he was like, (laughs) let's play Utah. Honestly, probably. Like, that's probably where it does come from, like 12 years ago. Yeah, that's unreal. Because I was trying to think about how, like, but you see those things that pop up online. They're like, oh, Auburn just scheduled a home-and-home with UCLA at 2030. Like, what? That just makes no sense to me, but I guess you got to get ahead of it. Um, I'm with you. I, I like Utah in this one. The swamp will be loud. The energy is going to be there. But I think if Utah comes out, this is one of those games where I, the first drive, if you can either get a three and out or drive it down the field on them, you could deflate that building so fast. It's introduction, obviously, for Napier to being a head coach in the SEC at a university like Florida, where football is life. Swamp is going to be going nuts. They have all day to drink, party, and talk about how they're going to win this game. It's going to be nuts. And when they do the in the swamp, only Gators get a lot come out alive. And everyone storms out of the field. It's going to be electric. It's going to be loud. However, Utah is a wonderful, let me check my notes here, four and one against the spread against SEC opponents. On the road, yes, makes me a little bit nervous, but less than a field goal, I feel pretty good about that. And I agree with you, Brett, if you slapped a different logo on this team with everything that they have going on, like, can you imagine if that was, like, if this was a, they had an O on the side of their helmet and they had just gone to the Rose Bowl. They returned everybody. They'd be the number three team in the country. They'd be like two touchdown favorites. They might even be number two. I don't know. I mean, if they just, you know, depending on who they beat in the Rose Bowl, which maybe would have been Ohio State or whatnot. But I just, I don't get it. I'm with you. I don't see where the, there's hype on Florida. I get it. And everyone's believing in AR-15. But let me tell you something. I've seen the kid play. Yes, he's a freak athlete, but I don't know about the arm. And I hope and I'm I don't wrong. know making like I don't know if he can actually play quarterback on a game to game like he's he's only started one game too I think people forget about he's 0-1 as a starter mm-hmm. like again it's very small sample size but he's being talked about like like you said like he like we're returning an all SEC player we're returning a guy who started one game with through six touchdowns and five picks last year who happens to be really fast yeah. a lot of guys in college football are really fast a lot of guys <laughs> in the SEC are really fast like 
Cam rising himself really fast ran for seven touchdowns last year. Like he might not be the best running quarterback in this game. And he's definitely not the best throwing quarterback in this game. So, and I'll take you one step further on that Rose bowl thing. What if they had an O on the side of their helmets and scored 45 points in the Rose bowl? Yeah, exactly. Be pretty damn excited about them. Again, if they brought back the quarterback and running back who were both all conference the previous year, who had their coming out party at that game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. I think that'll be definitely one of the more exciting games on Saturday. The other game, I think that's off the radar compared to obviously your two big kickoff classic games would be, and we talked a little bit before we started the show, is the Arkansas-Cincinnati game. I think for me, and the spread for this game is currently sitting at six and a half. For me, I think that this is a game that looks great on paper for Arkansas in my head. The Razorbacks are a little bit more in tune to you know, having to rebuild and get ready to play football at a high level the next season, air quotes, you can't see me doing them, uh, as they continue to learn this new, uh, I guess, feeling of being relevant again in the SEC West. <laughs> um, but Cincinnati lost a lot of talent to the NFL last year. They were a very, very good football team. And I'm happy they made the college football playoff as they kind of bust that bubble that the power five had on it. But I think as they continue to make the transition, this is going to be the big difference between the American and them going to the big 12 is it's a lot harder to reload uh, at that level. Don't get me wrong. Cincinnati has done a very good job of being a consistent, you know, top tier group of five program every single year, but it's just a little bit different when you go from competing against USF to now you're playing a middle-of-the-road SEC team, and that's Arkansas, which is a very good, you know, is a is a good football program. I'm not, though, I will say, with Burke being gone, I myself am not totally sold on Jefferson as a quarterback and his ability to uh, work in other people in the offense. I feel like in the games that I saw, if you could figure out a way, it was very hard, but if you found out a way to take away Burke, that – he tended to struggle a little bit more. Now he can create with his feet. I think he's a little bit faster than he looks, but I just, to me, I like Arkansas in this spot. This is going to look good for them early on the schedule. I think Cincinnati will compete in the American. Um, I, I got a little bit of, I won't bury the lead on what I'm thinking will happen in the American this year. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think this is going to be still a very good Cincinnati team. It'll look great for Arkansas early, but I don't think it by the end of the season it will carry the weight that the American public has in their head of Arkansas beating Cincinnati. I agree and disagree, and obviously a lot of that depends on Cincinnati because I think Cincinnati also loses this game. I don't know about the 6-6.5. Six, six I like the over 52 a lot more as an mm-hmm. actual play in this game. But I think I think you're right because I think Cincinnati will compete. They'll be pretty good. They're playing a pretty good SEC team. This will probably be one of two losses, one of three losses for them. So we'll look back in that final CFB poll, and they'll they'll be 23rd, 24th, just like they are now at nine and three, ten and two. But it obviously won't be anywhere near last year's Cincinnati, which. To give last year's Cincinnati team some credit, I didn't realize they had nine players go to the NFL. Like they were a, 
they were every bit the fourth best team in the country, regardless of anything that happened in the playoff. Obviously, anyone's going to struggle in the playoff in that situation because <laughs> what does four seed average a loss by like twice by 29 points they lose by or whatever. So, right. again, what what are you going to do in that situation? But on the flip side of that, like you said, they are reloading to the fullest extent. They lost nine guys to the NFL. They lost seven defensive starters. They lost their best quarterback, who's an NFL player, their best running back, and their best receiver, who are all also NFL players as well. So I think that mixed with the continuity, like you mentioned, with Arkansas being a developing team, being a relevant team, being a Sam Pittman coach team who returns pretty much all of their offensive line. Like if you're looking for, if they play this game in November, KJ Jefferson could struggle. The offensive line may not be great. There could be injuries, but because they're playing this game right now and Luke Fickle's got a much tougher puzzle to solve than Sam Pittman does. I think Mm -hmm. that in itself is worth three, four five points in this. Just again, the continuity aspect of it. Yeah. I uh, fickle uh, the phenomenal job every single year by him up there at Cincinnati. Uh, Arkansas, I will say, I thought their coach was going to be a bust when he came over from Georgia. I'm like, this guy, there's no way that he can be a football head football coach, but I've been I've been proved wrong. Pittman's done a great job. Obviously, the <clears throat> the strength of that team is the offensive line, which is fitting because that was also where his recruiting uh, roots are. So makes sense. But I just think this Arkansas team should have it all. When you're looking at teams at the start of the season, I think this is what Vegas looks at too, and betters, is returning quarterbacks. Because I feel like the team goes as the quarterback goes. I'm not too confident in Jefferson, and I'm, I like what you said too. I don't know about the line. Uh, that's one of those I'm going to be watching to see how it shifts. Maybe I'll dabble. But the over might be a little bit more of a safe play early on. Because week one, hey, just cheer for points. Football's back on. Kick your feet up. Throw a couple brewskis back and have a good time. Do so. Is there another under the radar game before we dive into the big boys that that you're eyeballing, Brett? Last one, LSU Florida State, which I feel like is a very. I think it's on Sunday night or Monday night. It's that little extra after all the all the hype of the Saturday dies down. I think that's a really good game, and I'm really curious about LSU. But I think LSU is going to be really good. Like I think LSU is going to go way over that six and a half. I think they're going to kill Florida State. Like if we're doing a lock of any kind, I think regardless mm. of who they start at quarterback, LSU minus three would be would be my lock this week because. They're just way more talented than Florida State. They have a competent coach. Their weaknesses, well, they were weak everywhere last year by the end of the season. <laughs> but their their actual weaknesses were on the back end and their secondary. So what does Brian Kelly do? He brings in four transfers of guys who started at other schools. Mm-hmm. He's got an Oklahoma State guy, an Arkansas guy. I think a Michigan State guy might be in the mix, an Ohio State guy. I think there's even one more from a from a mid-era power five or a group of five school, excuse me. So he's got four or five guys in the secondary that he just brought in. And same thing with the O-line. Brian Kelly's always going to have an O-line, so what do you do? You bring in all-conference transfers from East Tennessee and Florida International, and you start a five-star at left tackle, the best left tackle in the country, and Will Campbell. So if you just look at that part of it and you look at their deficiencies, regardless of where they start a quarterback – They'll be better on the offensive line because, again, talk about just a better coach. Brian Kelly is a better overall coach than Ogeron. I don't think anyone would argue that. (laughs) And even though Ogeron's specialty is on the line, I don't think anyone would argue that Brian Kelly probably produces better offensive lines year in and year out than Ed Ogeron does. So you have all of that, and then you just factor in, O's a great recruiter, so LSU has four- and five-star guys everywhere on the depth chart. It's just a matter of 
getting them to want to play and getting them to go to class pretty much like that's a way bigger problem than actually getting guys there they've done the hard part so i think right away they're going to be much better than people think everyone loves to make fun of brian kelly but brian kelly's a really good coach and he's also exactly the coach you want in a situation he's a great quick fix coach he's you know for all the corny stuff he does and all the stuff that makes you uncool Sometimes you need a guy who's going to tell people to be on time and have grades matter and not accept arrests and drugs and all that others. Like there is something to just bringing in a bit of function. And I think immediately the bit of function with the transfers, with an already loaded roster, it's going to go a really long way for LSU. And again, they're also playing Florida State who's pretty dysfunctional themselves. So I think yeah. I think they kill Florida State. And I think we're going to be really surprised this year when LSU has nine, 10 wins by the end of the year. I don't think that's out of the question at all. I, so a lot of good points made there on LSU. I, this is a, a football program that it doesn't matter who the head coach is. If you're born in the state of Louisiana, you want to go play ball in Baton Rouge. It doesn't matter. Like they could, I mean, he could hire the head coach from Wyoming right now and he could go down there and he'd still get, a, you'd still have a top 20 recruiting class. Top 10. You'd have a top 10 class because you just, the sure. athletes want to play ball there. Kelly, you look at what he did at, you know, speaking of Cincinnati, I mean, obviously phenomenal job there. Phenomenal job at Central Michigan. He takes that Notre Dame job, and I think people forget what Notre Dame was before he got there. I mean, just a hot mess of mediocrity. Yes, they were going to New Year's Six Bowls and whatnot, but that wasn't, they weren't competing. You never, Notre Dame was never like, oh my gosh, they could win the national championship this year. And then they just super fell off to like eight wins when they were losing to Navy. And I forget who else they lost to that they haven't lost to in a thousand years. But Kelly is a phenomenal coach. And I'm just going to spin cycle one thing, if I could steal that from part of my take. What he did with the stupid accent is chess, is 3D chess. Oh, I love this. I don't know where you're going, but I love it. Because what's the one thing everyone, when you think of Ed Orgeron, what do you think of? The Go Tigers. You think of that true Cajun accent. You haven't heard a single, I haven't heard a single person talk about Coach Ed, like Orgeron's accent or, you know, doing the whole thing since he did the stupid Southern marbles in my mouth accent at that basketball game that everyone called him out on as fake. Now, when you think about LSU and you go, oh, accent, like, isn't that the coach with the funny accent? Kelly, it's not. He's like, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if that was intended to be that way, but it, 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 in my head, like when I just thought about it, I'm like, that was a really smart PR stunt by you, sir. But again, every facet of the game, Brian Kelly is a phenomenal coach. And you look at when LSU has had success with the two exceptions being Les Miles and Orgeron when they won the national championships. I get it. But that's how much talent goes to that university that you can just win with the guy who's literally the Mad Hatter is his name and the Raging Cajun himself, Ed Orgeron. Nick Saban, people forget how good LSU... Now, granted, we were like kids, like very small people, but early 2000s, LSU... Imagine if Saban doesn't leave for the Dolphins. What LSU... LSU would be what Bama is times a thousand 
in my mind. With a decade head start, yeah. Yeah. With a literally decade head start on what Alabama is now. Because exactly like with Alabama, LSU in like 2008 or 9 or whatever that was almost got into the BCS championship game as a two-loss team, which is the exact fit we would have about Alabama now if they were to get into the playoff as a two-loss team. So there's even symmetry in that. And then all the way back to they have a bunch of bad quarterbacks, and then you're like, holy shit, when they get Joe Burrow, like what does this look like with a good quarterback? Same thing we found out with Alabama two or three years prior of what does Alabama look like with a great quarterback? Well, they look fucking awesome. Yeah. That's, how they look. that's how they look with a great quarterback. And the la- that's the thing on LSU. I think I said this. I don't know if I said this. I think whoever they start at quarterback now will be better than whoever they had last year, but also like their second best quarterback in the last decade still, regardless of if it's <laughs> Nussmeyer or Daniels, who, who do different things. I think it's going to be Nussmeyer, by the way. It just seems like he makes more sense with Brian Kelly's whole – vibe pretty much yeah but that's that's another topic for another time but yeah i think i think based on everything we just talked about and i want to go back to notre dame just on one more point because how many schools have made the college football playoff multiple times because brian kelly did that at notre dame and they yeah. can't the list can't be more than six or seven like i'm trying to think off the top of my head ohio state clemson bama, bama georgia, georgia oklahoma oklahoma yeah, and then maybe this LSU made it multiple times. They just made it once. Like, yeah, I think they just LSU, made it the year they wanted. Oregon, Florida State in there, but Notre Dame's been there. Too. So, like, they're a top seven or eight program and have been under Brian Kelly. They've been a top probably yeah. three or four program after the big three of Ohio State, Clemson, Bama for the last decade. Like, for the actual last decade, this recency bias may kill me on this one. But Notre Dame has been every bit as good as Georgia for the last entire decade. Yeah. For the cumulative decade of the last 10 years, they have been every bit as good. So so Brian Kelly, corny guy, fake accent, great spin zone on that. But he's an awesome <laughs> coach. And he took an already good roster and immediately addressed their biggest weaknesses with 15 transfers. So, Yeah, it'll be – I'm – I mean, obviously, LSU's a rival of my alma mater, but I'm interested to see what happens there because you might have some people that leave because some people don't like the new structure, but that's fine. With Transfer Portal, you you can rebuild. I mean, he rebuilt Notre Dame, lickety-split. Now, granted, you roll a, you walk into a building with the ND logo and a gold helmet. Obviously, kids are going to still go play ball there, but he turned Notre Dame around pretty quick with no Transfer Portal. And just pure recruiting and coaching. So that's, and it's not, again, not like Notre Dame was lacking talent, but he's walking into an absolute gold mine that is LSU. Of just and that's the thing. Talent. Yeah, like they are, and they have been, like you mentioned the recruiting, the Louisiana thing. Like they are a gold mine. I don't know what their composite over the last four years, but again, it's it has to be top five, top 10. Like they are already a loaded 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 roster and i don't think that can be understated at this stage in college football as we found out over the last five six years with alabama and ohio state particularly i don't know why it took the world so long to figure out if you always have the best players in your team you're going to like that concept was like a couple decades behind but we finally caught up to the fact that if you're too deep is just full of four and five stars you're going to be better than the two deep that's full of three stars right and lsu's deep is full of four and five stars still mm-hmm. well so we've hit on both of them obviously we talked about notre dame we talked about ohio state they're playing each other one of the bigger games obviously you got notre dame ohio state and you got oregon georgia two big games all that fun neutral well no uh Notre Dame, Ohio State's at the horseshoe, correct? 
Yes. Yes. And then and the other UGA one is Oregon. Yes. yes. So we'll do Notre Dame, Ohio State first because just because we've been talking about Notre Dame, obviously debut of Marcus Freeman as head coach at Notre Dame. Seems to be a lot of hype around this team. I, if I'm being totally honest, I don't see it. I don't see Notre Dame. I hope Marcus Freeman's great. I think he's a really good coach. I love the hire from within to keep the mojo going. The players seem to really like him. But that only lasts so long, like one season. <laughs> so it's put up or shut up time. You're going to be under the lights against Ohio State. Ohio State's 2-0 and against the spread against Notre Dame. But 3-6 and against the spread in home openers. Food for thought. Irish have won five straight road openers, 3-1-1 and against the spread. So, something's got to give, but I think it's Ohio State is going to win this game, cover. Uh, I just I don't believe in Notre Dame. And when you have probably the Heisman winner returning at your quarterback position, most likely I think you're going to have an undefeated season to run the table. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Just on the surface, I want to get that out right away. The one <laughs> thing I will say is, is you mentioned this when you mentioned Ohio State in home openers. Ohio State, for as dominant of the, as they've been under Ryan Day and Urban Meyer, but over on Ryan Day over the last four years, as dominant as they've been, we forget there's definitely chinks in the armor sometime in this team. The defense was not good last year. They were good solely because they scored their offense scored so many points, which allowed the defense to get off the field and have a top 75 ranking in some of these situations because they were just running out of defense so fast on there. But their defense isn't very good. And last year they really struggled in the first, like they were actual questions that we've forgotten about CJ Stroud in the first two mm-hmm. or three games. They're like, there were legitimate questions about whether or not he could be the next great Ohio state quarterback. He obviously answered them within <laughs> three, four weeks, but I think once they played Tulsa, it was either Tulsa or Toledo, but it was one of them. And he really, really struggled. Like they got, I think it was Tulsa. They got a game from Tulsa for three quarters yes. because yep. CJ Stroud was not very good in that game. And again, obviously that's all changed, but now they're being talked about like their Bama, rightfully so, because they return Stroud, they return Jackson Smith and Jigba, they have Marvin Harrison Jr. Like they're going to have probably the five best players in the Big Ten on their roster. So that can't be discounted. They're going to have four of the five best players in this game against Notre Dame. So again, I think they win. I think they win big, but it's not like they've been as dominant as we are talking about them coming into this season. Again, they lost to Michigan last year. Like they, they struggled up front. Their defense was not great last year. They were mm-hmm. not good as good at the interior as any SEC, as any good SEC team as Michigan. But defensive changes, they're going to be a little more aggressive because it sounds like based on everything I read that their coach was just like, we'll play base defense and be Ohio State, and that's just how we'll win, which like mostly worked. But now they have a defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State who actually wants to coordinate the defense, which I think will go a long way. It's yeah. like maybe we'll call stuff on third down because they didn't like <laughs> they've said like they didn't. Ryan Day like isn't a defensive coach and their coordinators. They didn't call anything. They didn't dial anything up ever. They right. just sat in their base defense and relied on the fact that they had better athletes, <laughs> which didn't always work. Which isn't. Yeah, it can work sometimes. I and and I think there is something to be pointed out, too, in these big games. I mean, if Mo Ibrahim doesn't get hurt. At the start of that kickoff last year against the Gophers, I mean they were the the Gophers were giving Ohio State everything they could handle. Yeah, what maybe three years ago now that Indiana almost beat them 
I mean, they, they mm-hmm. aren't too great out of the bat. Uh, now, granted, those were two road games, but that one opener, when Braxton Miller switched to receiver and JT Bear became the quarterback, yes. Virginia Tech beat him by like four touchdowns as an unranked team on the road. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's there's food for thought there. It's the, the the line is sitting at 17, and then that makes me a little nauseous. I feel like that's just a lot of points uh, to where Notre Dame, even late in the game, could just they could backdoor me. And I would be not a happy camper if that happened. But I, I do well, think Ohio State should run away with this game. Bama has proven year after year that in these games, no matter how good you think the other team is in a neutral side opener like this, if you think one team is just really, really good, it doesn't really matter how good the other team is. <laughs> like they're like they're just going to win by three or four touchdowns. They've been waiting all season and they're or waiting all summer. And there is something to like, I really do believe the fact of, like, when you have all those five stars and they are really hungry and they haven't gotten into the monotony of the season and they're not playing Troy in the middle of November and stuff like that, <laughs> like, I think that goes a long, long way when you just get a bunch of badass dudes who are really ready to come fly around. And Ohio State just has more badass dudes than everyone in the country except Alabama, which, again, like I talked about a couple minutes ago, that goes a longer way for me than just about anything else is are you loaded on the two deep with four and five stars? Is the other team not? Are you returning the better quarterback? Are you returning the better coach? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Check, check all the boxes. Yeah. Which, so then that also brings us to kind of the last big game of the weekend. And that is Oregon UGA. I'll let you, I'll let you go first on this one. I want to hear your thoughts because I got a lot. I, I know you do. I was going to say, I, I was almost just going to going to cede the floor to you on this one, but I, I don't know what to make of this one. Cause I just went on about talented team always prevails and all that stuff. And then you look at this one and this one's right around that 17 mm-hmm. and you kind of, you turn the page and you're like Kirby smart against a protege. Bo Nix isn't afraid of Georgia, isn't afraid of anybody, but definitely not Georgia if he even starts, but Let's just assume for the sake of argument that he does. Then you look at a quarterback matchup in that game. Again, we're doing coach quarterback, so you give coach to Georgia. But, like, quarterback, can you really say definitively that Stetson Bennett is better than Bo Nix? I mean, maybe you can because you got the entire Bo Nix experience. I just see the highlights for the most part. (laughs) But I'm not sure I can say that. And, again, of all the types of coaches, Saban's kind of an anomaly here. I like I like the protege in week one facing where he came from. Again, there's a certain alpha level that you kind of have. And I think Dan Lanning has whatever alpha you need in you to not be afraid of the big, bad SEC school. He has that. And again, doesn't go a long way all the time. But I think in week one, it goes a long, long way to say, hey, we're Oregon. We can Mm -hmm. play with these guys. We beat Ohio State last year. And then you have the guy coaching you who just came from Georgia who can say, well, they lost Jordan Davis. They lost N'Kobe Dean. This defense isn't going to be generationally good anymore. So I don't really know what to make of this because there's so many unknowns that it actually makes a two-and-a-half touchdown spread very, very intriguing in terms of I don't really know what's going to happen because I think Oregon's going to be better than people think. I think Georgia's going to take a, just naturally take a step back. They'll still probably only lose one or two games. But naturally, I think they have to take a step back this year. I don't think anyone would argue that. Yeah, this is the uh, – what like you mentioned Bama the what will separate Georgia and Bama and what has separated Bama and Clemson is that single 
atmosphere that Alabama hangs out in where they just – I, for years, everyone's like, oh, well, Bama just lost this person, that person. Doesn't matter. It does not matter because the guy that is behind him is as good, if not better, than he is. Doesn't matter. And if, if he – if the guy who's immediately behind him isn't, the guy that's third string could be better than him after one off season. You you don't know, but they yeah. have they're four deep with NFL talent, and so that's is the question. And and you you asked it, and I think that's great. Is that are they in that same atmosphere? Can can Georgia go? Okay, we just won a national championship with a like you said at once in a generation. It feels like defense that was just very stout, and can you you lost them? But now is it next up mentality? Can these cats come in and play? I don't get how Stetson Bennett continues to win. I just don't. He looks like he was just sitting in a cubicle crunching numbers at Deloitte not too long ago, but now he's out here just chucking around dimes, which to then answer your question as well, Stetson Bennett is 3-0 and in the Bo, Bo Nix experiment head-to-head battle. There we go. So, And Stetson Bennett would just rip Auburn to shreds, and if I have to watch that again this year, I think I'm going to cry but it probably will. Bo Nix is he, you live by the sword and you die by the sword with him. He can either generate plays like you saw in the LSU game, or he will try to generate plays so much. In fact, that he loses you the game like he did A&M. So UGA five and five against, uh, against the spread versus PAC 12 teams. Last time they played a PAC 12 team though, was 2010. So, a lot's changed since the Mark Richt era of the early to mid-2000s. Uh, last time Oregon played an SEC team was Auburn. When Bo Nix first made his college football career uh, start, and Ducks were up 21-3 to on Auburn and gave up 21 unanswered to lose that game. I think... This I think the game's going to be close because this is a little bit different than the time that Auburn played Oregon and Mario Cristobal was taking over after who I can't remember the guy's name who left to go to FSU who might be one of the worst yeah. Willie Taggart might have been one of the worst quarterback coaches that I've ever seen and and you saw the mess that has been left behind at FSU and they're still trying to recover from he so Cristobal turned that around he's there are some dogs on that Oregon team. Bo's probably going to have more time to sit in the pocket and throw than he ever had at Auburn because Cristobal obviously was going to get offensive linemen. I just think that Bo's going to see ghosts if he starts. If he goes out there and sees that red helmet with the black G on the side of it, I think he's going to have PTSD. So that makes me a little nervous for what Oregon can do in this game. I'm with you. I think Nick Saban is the uh, anomaly of the head coach to mentor just absolutely mopping the floor with all of his men, all of his understudies. And the number grows every year, by the way, because he has an unbelievable attendance at Nick Saban Rehab University where he just pumps out coaches, <laughs> you know, just indoctrinates them into his way of coaching and then kicks them back out into the world. I, I think Georgia will be able to show the world that they are – on par and maybe getting to the point where they can take the mantle 
even though Nick Saban just signed an eight-year extension from Alabama and say, hey, we can do this now. We're going to be the people that can continually bring in these studs and rock, reload, and keep going uh, and, and go from there. I, I haven't made up my mind yet on this one. I do think Oregon will keep it close because I don't think UGA is the type of offense that is going to explode and just beat the brakes off of you like Ohio State probably will do to Notre Dame. I think they're more of a knockdown, drag out, defensive coordinator, coach team. So that's how I see it playing out, but I'm, I'm not too sure. I th- I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good game, and, and we'll go from there. But, yeah, that's my, that's my two cents. Any rebuttals there, Brett? I'll, I'll open the floor back up to you. <laughs> no, I think you, uh, I, I think, I think you nailed a lot of it. I like the insight on the entire the Bonex experience, the Bonex versus Stetson Bennett part of it. But there is also, again, Stetson Bennett's done a really, really good job, but – Again, let's say they don't start Bonex. If you have a guy who just takes care of the football, they run the ball all right, which they might be able to do on Georgia. Like if Georgia's defense is anything but perfect, like is this team even capable of beating anyone by 17, 18 points at this juncture? Like last year in that Clemson game in that opener, we found out how the how good the defense was. It was 3-3 with a defensive touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like that's how the final score was 10-3 in that game. So like it's not like Georgia's offense just – hummed the entire year and they are very good and they have probably the best two tight ends maybe in the country on their team or at least the best tight end room in the country on their team but again they're just not as talented and not as dynamic at the skill positions this year and I think when you have a guy like Stetson Bennett he benefits a lot from being around the Georgia ecosystem and knowing how to play quarterback for that specific Georgia team not necessarily 24-24 can he drive the ball down and win you a football game himself? That's again, that's where we get into those questions of if it's 10 points, seven points down the stretch, you're in, you're in a position where Oregon's very much still in the game and Georgia just needs to run out the clock, which again helps you. And you're also in a position where you go win the game too, and maybe make Stetson Bennett make a play. So I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I would have a hard time. I think Georgia wins by enough but I, I like where it's not by enough. I don't mean covering. I mean like where it's not really. They never really feel out of control in the game. But I don't see them just boat racing them. So I do see a situation where we're looking at a 34-20 type of game, maybe even a late touchdown to make it 10 points. That kind of situation. Like we'll leave feeling good about Oregon in this game. I, think. <laughs> I, I can't wait. Obviously, the the big deal is. After this week, we actually have some things to go off of that aren't just uh, hypotheticals, which is always exciting. So I'm going to ask you one last question, Brett, and then we'll get out of here and then uh, wrap it up. You're walking up to the roulette table. You're, you got to put, you know, you got $100 left in your pocket. You're putting it on black. It's just kind of that wild card. Who, and when you look across the college football landscape, what is your outlandish hot take for the year my outlandish okay this isn't my actual outlandish hot take but i have a take that's pretty hot that i can warm everyone up with first i love it uh desmond howard's playoff bracket wasn't that bad i actually kind of liked it it was like a&m pitt utah no a&m pitt michigan and Baylor, I think. And everyone flamed him for it just because of the visual. But I understood what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to take Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. And every team he picked in place of them actually like tracked rhyme or reason. Where you're like, well, if it's not going to be Bama, 
Maybe it will be AM. If it's not going to be two SEC teams, maybe it is the winner of the Big 12. Big 12. Why won't undefeated Pitt beat Clemson and get in? So I was like, you know what, Des? I kind of I kind of feel you. I, I see where you're coming from on that. Um, I guess mine will be this then. I kind of teed it up at the beginning that I wasn't sure what to what to think about them. I think Purdue wins the Big Ten West. Ooh. Yeah, I think I think the Big Ten West is wide open this year. Um, and again, if we're talking coach quarterback, yep. love the Brom O'Connell combo. I like it better than Fleck Morgan. It's not 2019 anymore, but I do think the Gophers are going to be pretty good. I think Wisconsin's going to be not bad. But like they're going to be an ugly eight-win team this year. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe Wisconsin. Don't believe in Graham Mertz. I think you were right in terms of conventional wisdom on it. It will come down to the axe. I think that's kind of the normal consensus opinion on here. But I think it's the breakout for Aiden O'Connell. And I think, too, I'll, I'll take you one step further now that I'm going on this take. They're going to want to invite someone to – the Heisman campaign or to the Heisman to New York city. They're going to want to not invite just CJ Stroud, Bryce young, Will Andrew. Like they don't want to go chalk on that thing. Last year they, they tossed Kenny Pickett the invite. We knew Kenny Pickett wasn't going to win. But they said, sure, Kenny, you can hop on a flight. You can put on a nice suit, get out here. I think Aiden O'Connell. Because, and again, second best quarterback in the big 10 last year, 28 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, 3,700 yards, high QBR. Let's say they end up in some of these shootouts and they have to play. They play Ohio State well again. He throws for 400 against Ohio State. He throws for 400 against Iowa, let's say. And then he's got those games against your Northwesterns, against your Nebraskas. I mean, it's the Big Ten West. There's some defenses in here that you can just cook if they're mm-hmm. vulnerable that day. So, like, let's say we get some big, let's say, let's say we go into Northwestern, we go into Ryan Field, we go 31 of 39, 460 yards and six touchdowns. And you're looking up and you're like, huh, Purdue. Five and zero, six and zero. Because if they win this Penn State game too, they got Minnesota in the fifth game of the year, and then they don't really play anyone until I don't know who. But I did look at the schedule. But they've got a legit seven and one, eight and zero type opportunity. So they're seven and one, eight and zero. They get a little bit of that buzz. They'll definitely do the Big Ten West thing. And if Aiden O'Connell is every bit as good as I think he is in the Big Ten West thing, we'll we'll want that story. We'll want the the guy we didn't expect, that kind of thing. So. If you're looking for a guy you don't expect, him or Cam Rising are my two in terms of like who's the guy that we're going to get randomly invited to the Heisman ceremony. That's that's my take this year. So it's just all Purdue related. I'm all in on Purdue. Wow. You know, I, I thought I was going to be a little out there, but now I'm now I look like I'm playing it safe. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing it close to the vest here. Uh, John Rice Plumley transfers to UCF. Love this. And I think – if you look at he's he's like Nick Marshall to me, and you look at that 2013 Auburn team, I think UCF wins the American, and I think they have they're they're the team you're talking about that could potentially get into the college football playoff. I think the reason they don't is because they weren't back to back undefeated years like Cincinnati did. I think that's the only reason the committee put them in there, obviously, and. Other games happened how they happened, but I think the reason the committee was like, all right, we have to do this is because they hadn't lost in two years. UCF, I think, will be a top 10 team by the end of the year and be knocking on the door of the college football playoff. With Plumlee being able to run, I think you'll see that Gus Malzahn offense looking like it used to. Plumlee also is a former baseball player and a very good one at that. I think he has a better arm than Nick Marshall did. And, again, quick side note, Nick Marshall is the most underrated 
quarterback in the history of Auburn football, and nobody talks about him enough. So if you're an Auburn fan listening to this, we need to thank our lucky stars for Nick Marshall because he was phenomenal. Plumlee is also a phenomenal athlete, and I think with some transfers from Auburn and Kobe Hudson at the receiver position, they have weapons all over the place offensively, and I think T. Will will continue to do a good enough job defensively to where they should win the American, in my opinion. So you're saying, like, with with Plumlee, Dark Horse, like, you're thinking this is like, we're going back to Scott Frost. Like, we're scoring 50 a game, and every week we're like, Plumlee throwing for 350 and four touchdowns, running for 50 and a score. Like, when we get into the meat of the American schedule. I think it's going to be a little bit more, that I think those scores are going to happen, but I think the stat line is going to be a little bit more uh, rushing yards than passing yards for Plumlee. Because I think... What Gus likes to do and how I explain it to a lot of people is his offense is a wing T offense from the shotgun formation. It's a hurry up, no huddle offense from the shotgun with wing T. So what he loves to do is he likes to get that first down and he wants to get on the ball and he wants to do that like power read. And if you get that going and you're picking up four yards and then you're clicking like that, because they're going to have to respect Plumley because he can break off a run. I mean, he's one of the fastest players on the field at quarterback. So... I just think that opens the playbook to a whole new level where you're going to be getting one-on-one matchups. And Gus is very good at, at, at building off of it and be and counter punching in that offense to where if you take away one thing, well then he's going to, he's going to knock you out with this other. So that's what I'm thinking. I, I really, really like that. And one further on that too, is obviously not the same guy in the same offense, but Scott Frost does do a lot of that same things and did do a lot of those same things at UCF in terms of shotgun, two running back, three running back type looks. You basically run the triple option, whether it's that guy coming in motion across and you fake to him and then you run the read or you just stick it in the back's belly and then you kind of run the triple option off that. So he did a lot of that too. And Plumlee, similar athlete, similar build, and similar size and speed to Mackenzie Milton in that offense. So, like, I do – now that you're saying that, I wouldn't have made that comp on my own just watching him. But in terms of the similarities and you describing Gus's offense, that is a ton of what Scott Frost did and what I guess would be their heyday, (laughs) quote-unquote, when when they were really, really good. And then, obviously, we saw with the continuation under Heupel and then Malzahn with just Dylan Gabriel in there, too, of just quarterbacks there are going to – be really good and mm-hmm. you mentioned in terms of the Heisman aspect of it or at least the national buzz Cincinnati got in because they had the back-to-back undefeated seasons but we're much better in our brains when we can say oh UCF they have good quarterbacks because I can name two of them like that'll go <laughs> along with like yeah. it's not just out of nowhere it's oh they had Mackenzie Milton oh they had Dylan Gabriel oh Dylan Gabriel's at Oklahoma he's still good like mm-hmm. that part will help them too of just like the name game that you can play of Malzahn's the head coach. John Reese Plumley's Matt Corral's backup under Lane Kiffin. Scott Frost used to be there. Josh Heupel used to be there. Like that all now builds a, just a little more lure that you need mm-hmm. where it's not just a guy out of nowhere. It's like, oh, we can see how we got to point A to point B and this guy having a great season. So, And you can name, you can actually name a third UCF quarterback, Brett. This is a little NFL, little NFL test for you. You grew up watching him every Sunday. Not was too it Blake far. Wells? No. Well, yeah, also Blake. Oh, I guess there's four then. Before, before there Dante. was Dante. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so four UCF quarterbacks. There it is. Uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the boat, Blake Bortles, the man, the myth. So with that, I know we are a little long, and I know it's a little bit long of a podcast today, ladies and gentlemen, but obviously a lot to catch up on, update on the pod. 
week zero recap, week one, and a little bit of a look ahead, kind of all combined into one. Uh, so we're going to keep this train going. Brett, I appreciate you being on here. I know you got a lot going on social media-wise as well. Uh, you want to let people know where they can find you and kind of what also you do outside of podcasting. Yeah, if you like rodeo, boy, <laughs> Great transition. I have a pitch for you <laughs> because I'm the editor-in-chief of the Cowboy Channel, so I take all of the gambling stats and numbers that I've been taking for fun in football and basketball and baseball my entire life, and now I just get to apply them to rodeo. So if you thought, if you ever woke up and you're like, do they do advanced stats in rodeo? Well, they didn't up until two years ago, and they do now, baby. So you can follow me at Pro Rodeo Brett on Twitter, uh, the Cowboy Channel on Twitter, Cowboy Channel on Instagram, cowboy channel on tiktok last thing too if you're saying oh who watches professional rodeo blah 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 all that stuff Three hundred twenty thousand followers on instagram so you'd be a part of a real thing you're not just like <laughs> part of some fakest real professional rodeo is real the cowboy channel is the official network we're the nfl network of pro rodeo and if you want to dabble in that world if you've always seen if you watch yellowstone if you like bull riding and you're like oh that looks interesting well you can follow me, and I'll break it down for you. We're in the final month of the regular season, so we're making the push to the National Finals Rodeo, which is our playoffs. Exciting time to be a fan. There we go. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you're looking for something, if it's just too slow early in the NFL and college football season, you're looking to add <laughs> a little bit of spice, go follow Brett. Go watch some rodeo. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. But with that, junkies, we are out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week where we got NFL and college football rocking and rolling. So thanks so much for tuning out of, or tuning in. We are out of here. Peace. Suck the taint.